Let's turn first of all to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. I want to talk to you about the missing link between your faith and results. The missing link between your faith and results. And we're going to start with James chapter 2, verse 14. I was talking to someone just uh, just recently, and uh, they were uh, really going on about these prosperity preachers and these faith preachers and these healing evangelists and talking about how corrupt they are and how wrong they are and how much uh how big a heretics they are and they named a few names and i'm sitting there listening to them until i uh, i couldn't keep my mouth shut no longer i want to tell you something i love kenneth e hagan i love oral roberts i love t.l osborne i love kenneth copeland and I love Joel Osteen. I love these guys. I love guys I don't always agree with. You know, John MacArthur. J. Vernon McGee. <laughs> they don't love me, but I love them. Amen. Uh, John Osteen, he was, he, was like, he was like a spiritual father to me in the spirit. I love these guys. I loved uh, Thomas Zimmerman. Y'all may not have ever heard of him, but he was general superintendent of the Assemblies of God when I was in the Assemblies of God. And, and, and what a man of God he, he was. A powerful preacher. Amen. Lester Sumrall. I didn't like being around him, but I loved him. He's a rough old guy. I mean, he'd dress you up and down one side and the other, you know, but you, you, you had to love him because he's so anointed. Not all these people were perfect. I'd go so far as to say none of them are perfect. I have heard, uh, I have heard things come out of their mouths that I didn't agree with. And I, I'm telling you, you know, uh, they had they had some doctrines I, I I can't go along with. A lot of them. I, I've been embarrassed with some of the things they've said. But their ministries and their callings and their anointings changed my life and helped shape me and make me into what I am today. Thank you. Amen. 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 And a lot of the criticism you hear about the faith teaching or the prosperity teaching is uh, it doesn't work. Well, what an indictment. You know, they don't ever say that anything about any other teaching like the Baptist doctrine or the Methodist doctrine, or all these other doctrines that have so watered down the gospel that it obviously doesn't work. You can be, you can be in a Methodist church your whole life and die at the ripe old age of 85 and never, ever get saved. Now that's a doctrine that's not working. That, that's, a, that's teachings that don't work. If you can sit under it for 85 years and never get saved, something's wrong. But I love the Baptist and I love the Methodist because they, you know, depends on where you are, but some of them are doing a whole lot more than us Pentecostals. You know, we talk loud and, and shout loud and speak in tongues and do all kinds of things, 
And then do we let the Baptists go evangelize the world? What's wrong with that? You see, there are a lot of things that that uh, that are supposed to be working that aren't working. And then there are a lot of things that are working. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. You know, Kenneth Hagen and Kenneth Copeland and uh, uh, W. V. Grant Senior, not Junior, W. V. Grant Senior and uh, uh, Lester Sumrall and T. L. All these guys. Uh, I grew up on them. When I was a little boy, I remember my mother had stacks and stacks and stacks of little booklets, those little thin booklets and 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 newspapers and newsletters. I remember T.L. Osborne's newsletters looked like he would printed the newsletter up and then before he mailed it out, he started with a crayon circling things and underlining things and it looked it looked like a mess. But I would read those things and it formed my understanding of the word of God. I believe in miracles. I believe in healing. I've seen miracles. I've seen healings. I've received them myself. I believe that faith is is the is is the power that moves mountains. I believe in it, faith. And I learned more about more about faith from Kenneth E. Hagan than I did anybody because that's about all he ever talked about was Mark eleven twenty two and through twenty four. I learned an awful lot about divine healing from Oral Roberts, but also learned about seed faith, about the law of seed time and harvest from Oral Roberts. He wrote he wrote a little book called Seed Faith, and and I studied that book. I could I probably memorized it. I could tell you, it really had an impact on my life. I, I was I was sowing seeds and giving to God and giving to missions before I ever got saved because of Oral Roberts and my mother. My mother's the one who fed me the oil rocks. I believe in healing because that, that, that's, how, that's how come I'm still alive today. Growing up, I, you know, my, my folks didn't have money to go to the doctor every time one of the kids had a sniffle. There was five of us kids. I went to the doctor one time when I, as a kid, uh, and I, that's because I had an earache that wouldn't go away, and they gave me a penicillin shot in my rear. And I couldn't understand that. It was my ear that hurt. And that penicillin shot uh, revealed that I was allergic to penicillin. I couldn't walk for two weeks. And so she didn't have to convince me that I, well, I didn't need to go to the doctor. I, I'm telling you, you know, I stepped on rusty nails. And my mother just soaked my feet in Epsom salt. And I, just, I just wrap it up and keep on going. Never had a tetanus shot. It's a wonder I lived. But my mother and my dad both believed in God's power to heal and deliver. And they got results. They got results. I, I told my mother one morning uh, on many occasions, I, I'd, I'd wake up not feeling good and say, I'm sick. I can't go to school today. I'm sick. And she'd sit down on the edge of the bed with her guitar and start singing, the great physician now is near the sympathizing Jesus. And before she had finished that song, I'd be healed. And I'd have to go to school. Made me so mad. I mean, she wouldn't even get the song finished before the power of God would come and heal my body. You can't tell me God is not a healer today. God does heal and God uses people. 
But I learned a lot about the workings of these things through listening to these, what I would call masters, master teachers. Master teachers. I'll tell you one time, uh, uh, my wife and I, Norma, we were on our way to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to a Kenneth Hagin camp meeting. And uh, it was held downtown in Tulsa in the Civic Center. And there'd be 10,000 people there, every service. Wow. 10,000 people. This is back in the, in the 80s. Yeah. 10,000 people there. And we're on our way to Tulsa, and we're pastoring a little church uh, out in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, uh, and we had questions. Right. And we're talking about the questions that we had. And, and, uh, and she got out her little notebook, and she started writing down these questions. One, question number one, question number two, question number three, question number four. We had ten questions in, in, in a particular order. And so we get to the camp meeting. We go in there. There's 10,000 people there. It's the first night. We're sitting up in the nosebleed section where you had to have a, you know, binoculars to see the platform. And we saw this dot up there on the platform teaching. His name was Kenneth Hagen. They had worship service. They had all. They had a big offering service, worship service. He didn't get to the pulpit till nine o'clock that night, and people were just streaming out, and people were going home. And he's trying to preach, and you just see the steady stream of people leaving, you know, because it's, it's late, nine o'clock. And he preached, and he got up to preach, and in the first ten minutes, he answered every one of those ten questions we had, and he answered them in the order that we asked them. It was like we were the only people there. Amen. And I still watch Kenneth Hagin on YouTube. I was watching them one this week, had 472,000 listens. <laughs> Probably 200 of them were mine. You say, what, what are you, why are you saying all this? Well, I'm saying that the criticisms that are levied against these people are ungodly. And they're being levied against these people. The criticisms that come up against these people are coming out of the church out of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is shooting arrows at their own teachers. And they're doing it because they say, we tried what they teach and it doesn't work. Or they'll say something like, well, John Osteen died of heart disease. And he did. And Kenneth Hagin died of heart, heart disease. And he did. But Kenneth Hagin died about 70 years after he was supposed to die of heart disease. And John Osteen died of heart disease after he had laid hands on his wife who had stage 4 cancer and got healed. So, you know, n nobody has a perfect record. I've laid hands on people who died of the who, who had the same thing my wife died from, and I would lay hands on them and God would heal them. Yes. Yes. Since she died, since my wife died, mm -hmm. I've laid hands on at least three people I know of that had stage four colon cancer, mm -hmm. and God healed them. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mm -hmm. 
So there, there are a lot of reasons things happen the way they happen. And we can't put God in a box and we can't force God to do anything. Amen. There, are, there are things we can do that will move the hand of God. And uh, faith does move the hand of God. Do you know that, uh, that uh, 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 just because somebody needs a healing or somebody needs a financial miracle doesn't mean they're going to get one. God does not heal people just because they need healing. That's right. That's right. Amen. <laughs> I mean, I, I know that for a personal fact. God, God does not send money from heaven on everybody that needs money. There's a world out there of people that are hungry, that are starving, that need shelter, and they don't ever get it. If God met needs based upon the need itself, then every need would be met. But God does respond to faith. And that's why we've talked about it before. Faith is the currency of heaven. Faith, faith will, will, uh, will get things out of the heavenly realm and bring them into your physical realm. We know that for a fact. Amen. And we've had all kinds of teachings on it. So, so what is the missing link? What, it's not because Kenneth Copeland teaches it. He's not a bad guy. No, not at all. Yeah, he's rich. Yeah, praise the Lord. Thank God he's rich. He, he's, he's, he's given almost, uh, I think he's in, just in the last 10 years or so, I heard him say that he has personally given away $300 million to ministries. He gives them to other ministries. He helps other ministries. He helps people build churches, dig water wells. He helps missionaries go. He's doing a lot of good. Hallelujah. Yeah. How did he get rich? Well, he didn't get rich by, by stealing people's money. Not a dime goes into Kenneth Copeland Ministries at the point of a gun. People give voluntarily to these ministries. You know, they, they, they talk about Jesse Duplantis all the time. Well, he's buying this big jet. He's going to spend 20, $26 million on a jet airplane. Well, he didn't rob anybody to get the money. People gave him the money. He told them, if you give me money, I won't, I'm going to buy a jet airplane. So they gave him money to buy a jet airplane. It's their business. It's not your business to criticize them. And he didn't do some mumbo-jumbo uh, magic on them and turn them into zombies and then get their money. These are, these are business people. These are professional people. These are people out there in the world that are making money and they have money to give and they give it to Jesse so he can buy an airplane. It's none of your business to criticize them. No more than I should criticize you for what, where you put your money. Amen. Amen. By the way, if I happen to buy a Cadillac, brand new Cadillac, and give it to my wife to drive, you have, it's none of your business. It's none of your business. Church people love to criticize their preacher because he's driving a car that... that, uh, uh, that the town pimp can drive it and nobody says anything about it. But if the pastor has one, he's criticized. Hugh Hefner flew around everywhere in a jet airplane. No one ever criticized Hugh Hefner, but they criticized Kenneth Copeland for, for flying around preaching the gospel. Yeah. 
You see how ridiculous this stuff is? You need, and when you start hearing people criticize these people, you need to just shut your ears to it and don't listen to it. Because all the enemy's trying to do is destroy your faith and cause your faith to be unused and inoperative. And that's what's happened to people. When they say, oh, we tried that and it didn't work, first of all, that's a lie. They didn't really try it. It's not something you try. It's something you, it's something you do. You live and die. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Y'all ready for some scripture? <laughs> James chapter 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? You see, if you're not careful, you can quote a scripture that actually says that. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. But James says, can faith save you? See, you, you've got to take Scripture and interpret Scripture with Scripture. You've got, to, you've got to get the whole picture. You can't just take things out of context. There are reasons your faith works, or there are reasons your faith doesn't work. And you need to, you need to care enough about it that you'll investigate and find out what's going on. He said, can faith save him? And he, he, he says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? You see, you just can't confess blessings on people. Be blessed. Be blessed, my friend. Yeah, I mean, you might as well say nothing. You've got to put. You've got to put something with those words. You do not. If you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus, also faith by itself. If it does not have works, is dead. You might want to underline that. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Well, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. I think the Passion Translation said, the demons believe and yet they're still demons. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works, faith was made perfect. Yeah. Now I'm going to read James 2.22 from the Passion Translation. And uh, Brother Chris, if you'll throw up the Passion Translation, James 2.22. Can't you see how his action cooperated with his faith, and by his action, faith found its full expression? Uh, we need to we need to look at that. We need to, we need to digest that. Can everybody see that? 
It's such small print. Can you see that? Can't you see how his action cooperated? Everybody say cooperated. His action cooperated with his faith. And by his action, faith found its full expression. You see that? That's the missing link with a lot of people. They say they believe, but they don't have corresponding actions. And James says, faith without corresponding actions is dead. Lifeless. Doesn't produce. Okay, let's go back to uh, New King James and we'll look at verse 23. James 2.23 And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then, now, do you see this? James is assuming that you're understanding what he's saying here. You see then, everybody say, I see. I see. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? You see, we know that Rahab believed these messengers because of what she did. She didn't turn them in. She helped them escape. Now look at verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. As, just like the body without the spirit is dead. How many of you have seen a dead body? It's that it's, it, it can't speak, it that can't move, it can't breathe, it doesn't do anything, it just lays there. That's where a lot of Christians' faith is. Especially when it, you're talking about their faith in God's ability to heal and deliver and prosper and bless. They, their, their faith in God beyond a certain point is like a lifeless body. They, they, they believe that God can save them and forgive their sins. Many of them. There are a lot, there are a lot of so-called Christians that don't believe God forgives their sins. How do I know? Because they, 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 they keep living under the weight, guilt, and shame of past sins. And so that tells me they don't believe God forgave their sins and washed them of all the unrighteousness. Christians who say they're Christians and go around still feeling guilty over their past sins, they, they, don't, they don't have enough faith to believe God forgave them. So, you know, there are a lot of people sitting in churches calling themselves Christians that have just, they don't even have enough faith to save them. Much less to believe that God's going to bless them financially because they're a tither and they're a giver and they, and they sow seeds, financial seeds. They don't, they don't even get that far. They, they haven't even got to the point where they, they're rid of their sin guilt. And then they hear somebody like 
Kenneth Copeland or Oral Roberts on TV and they and they criticize them. They, oh, they want your money. No, that's what you want. You know how people project their own they project their own sins onto others? Yeah. Yeah. That's what's happening. <laughs> All right. Hebrews chapter 11. We know that in Hebrews chapter 11, it's the faith hall of fame. Uh, after after uh, this service, I challenge you to go back and read Hebrews chapter 11, the faith hall of fame. Because it's talking about a everyday, average, ordinary, ordinary human beings who move the hand of God and who are listed in the Faith Heroes Hall of Fame. Amen. And yet they were people who, just like you, had problems in life and didn't always get everything they wanted. It even says, and many, many of these did not receive the promise, but they died believing that the, you know that the answer would come to the, to another generation. You know, a lot of them, a lot of them were saw, sawed asunder. They were put in prisons. I mean, but he calls them all people of faith. They're in the faith hall of fame. They had hall of fame faith, and yet, like John Osteen, they they might have died of a heart attack. But they were still in the faith hall of fame. Like Noah who built an ark. He, he, he believed God. God said, I'm, I'm, a flood's coming. Build a boat. He built a boat. That proved he had faith in what God said. But even he got drunk after he came out of the boat. He wasn't a perfect man. Are you, are you listening? But when you get to heaven, you need to walk up to Noah and thank him. Because his actions saved the human race. You better thank him. And don't bring up the fact that he got drunk one night and got naked in front of his, you know. I mean, don't bring that up. Because he probably doesn't even remember it now. It's been washed in the blood. Amen. You don't want to bring something up that God's already forgotten. I know what you did. Shut up. He's a hero. Amen. People in the Bible, one thing I like about the Bible is it tells you the good, bad, and the ugly. It tells you what they did right. It tells you what they did wrong. It tells you what God did about it. And it's all the theme of the whole Bible is God's redemption. How God can redeem everything. And He can redeem you out of your mistakes. So we're not going to criticize some preacher who's preaching that God will, will uh, uh, reward your faith and, and maybe he's got bald tires on his car out in the parking lot. Yeah, you, do, you don't criticize the word because of how somebody's living. They did to Kenneth Hagin that. Kenneth Hagin was out holding revivals when he was a young man preaching all over the country. And he was preaching Mark eleven twenty four, And he said his tires were uh, may pops. They, uh, they may pop any moment. And he said he'd go down the road and those tires, he'd hear them go and the devil would translate it, where's your faith? 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 And people criticized him. He said, he said, it was true before I was living it 
And so I preached it even before I could live it because it was the truth. And if I hadn't have preached it before I was living it, I never would have lived it. That's right. Amen. 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 I got up in front of my church one time in Rockwall, Texas, and I said, somebody donated us a whole box of reel-to-reel -reel, uh, tapes of Kenneth Hagin's radio programs. And they gave me a tape player, a real, real tape player. So if anybody wants to borrow these tapes, I'm listening to them. But if anybody wants to borrow them and uh, listen to Kenneth Hagin on, on radio, you know, uh, I'll be welcome to loan them to you. And one of my deacons popped up, burn them! Well, come to find out, that deacon and his wife were babysitters for the Hagans. When Kenneth Hagan was out doing evangelism work with those bald tires, and they said his family didn't have anything. They didn't have enough clothes to wear. They didn't have enough food to eat. And he said his faith wasn't working. That was my question. Well, did you give him anything to eat? Did you give him any food? Did you help him? No. He's out there preaching that faith stuff and it wasn't even working for him. Well, by the time I met him, it was working for him. He was driving. Somebody gave him a, a, a Rolls Royce. And man, he said when people found out he had a Rolls Royce, his offerings went to nothing. And people started criticizing him. So he sold the Rolls Royce and bought him a Ford Bronco. And he, and, uh, and he gave the money from the Rolls Royce to uh, the, the, the church yes. and he bought the Ford Bronco on payments. Yes. And they criticized him for having a car and having payments. Oh, See, son, listen, you can't live listening to other people's criticisms. Someone said, criticism is the death gargle of an underachiever. People who criticize are people who have given up, thrown in the towel already. And they don't like it because you haven't quit. They don't like it because you're persisting and you're continuing on. You're continuing to put actions with your faith even when it doesn't look like it's working. You keep working it. Amen. Well, I want you to turn to Hebrews 12 and verse 1 in the King James Version. See, we're using the New King James, the Passion Translation, back to the King James. Uh, I'm doing that so that Chris won't go to sleep back there. We've got to keep him awake. Switching from one translation to another. Y'all have no idea how much work that is. Just going from translation to translation and keeping up with the preacher. And he's doing a good job. He, don't criticize him unless you're ready to take his place. And even then, you better ask me first. Amen. <laughs> Hebrews 12, 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about. That means surrounded. Seeing that we are also surrounded about with so great a cloud of witnesses. That's those people in Hebrews chapter 11. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now Jesus is the beginner and the ender of our faith. 
who for the joy that was set before him endured. Everybody say endured. endured. The cross. You know what the cross represents? Contradiction. The cross was a contradiction to everything he was preaching. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the Lord that heals you. I am the I I I have the power to raise people from the dead. And they actually they actually gave him a hard time while he's on the cross. You you who raised the dead, come down off that cross. Right? But they were heathen. They were ungodly. They were unborn again, unspirit filled, unbibled taught people. When Christians start doing that to somebody, they need to, they need they need to they need to back back away and say, "Look, something's happening here. I don't know anything about." Every one of our forefathers that have gone before us, every one of these people that are standing around us as a cloud of witnesses, and the names that I named while ago, every one of those people are in that cloud of witnesses today. I, everybody that I named is, is dead almost. There might be one or two exceptions. They're in that cloud of witnesses. They've run their race and they've achieved the prize. And their faith is rewarded. It worked. It worked. Jesus was in a contradictory moment when he hung on the cross. It's set up there at the top, King of Kings, King of, King of the Jews. He claimed to be the Son of God, and yet everything you could see, everything, uh, everything your senses could pick up on, was a contradiction to everything that Jesus claimed to be, except for one, and that was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Amen. But he said, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now I want to tell you something. If you're going to be a man or woman of faith and you're going to live and walk by faith, you've got to be ready to die by faith. You've got to be ready to endure the crucifixion of others. You've got to be willing to despise the shame they're going to try to put on you. If you're going to sit down at the right hand of God in power and victory and celebrate the fruits of your faith, you've got to be willing to put up with folks that criticize you and think that you're weird because you are. Amen? Faith is not a magic wand that summons a genie-like deity to do your bidding. Let me say that again. Faith is not a magic wand that summons a genie-like deity to do your bidding. Faith isn't supposed to work for you. It's supposed to work for God. Faith is our response to God's command that moves us to corresponding action. Faith is how you respond to God's command 
Amen? Because he's going to ask you to do something you can't do without faith. No matter what the cost. Usually the cost is our pride. Amen. You think the Israelites felt a little foolish out there marching around the walls of Jericho? Not uttering a word? Once a day for seven days and then on, on the seventh day, seven times around. You don't think they might have felt a little foolish with those residents of Jericho looking down on them and laughing at them? Jeering at them? Throwing rotten vegetables at them? You don't think they felt a little awkward? When you're reading the Bible and you read these Bible stories about great men and women who did amazing things, do you, do you ever put yourself in their shoes and ask yourself how foolish they might they must have felt? That's all right, man of God. Just go over there and take a branch off that tree and throw it in that bitter water. That'll fix it. You think that prophet might have felt a little foolish? Oh, I got the remedy. Y'all, everybody, everybody, don't worry. Don't worry. We're going to make this right. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to chop this branch off this tree and I'm going to throw it in the water and that's going to fix the water where you can drink it. Now, and they probably said, you go first. What do you think went through the mind of the guy who had the withered hand? Jesus comes up to him and says, well, stretch out your hand, man. No, not that one. The withered one. Stretch that one out. What you're talking about? We we don't see any hesitation. We don't see you know. Jesus just had this commanding voice, this commanding look in his eyes that the guy just. But everything Jesus did required some corresponding action on the part of the people. The woman who had the issue of blood, she had to press through the crowd. And what did he say to her? He said, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Hey, your faith works. How do we know she had faith? Because of what she did. She did something. She did something. What about Lazarus being raised from the dead? What did Jesus tell them to do? Roll away the stone. Martha said, But Lord! He's been dead four days by now. He stinketh. Jesus said, roll away the stone. And so they rolled away the stone. Lazarus would never have been raised from the dead if they had not obeyed Jesus. Well, we didn't have a whole lot to do with it. All we did was roll the stone away. That was a corresponding action in response to, in the, response to the command of the Lord. You see, when God tells you to do something, and you do it, that's your faith at work. If nothing's happening, maybe you aren't listening. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear and understand. And once you understand what the Lord says, Noah, go build the boat. Took him over a hundred years to build that boat. And they were laughing at him the whole time. If there were insane asylums, he would have been put in one. They probably didn't tie his hands and bind him up because he was the major employer for the town. 
All those people worked for him for a hundred years. But when it came time to get on the boat, they didn't get on the boat. Because their faith didn't their faith didn't take them onto that boat. Can you imagine doing a job that takes you over a hundred years to do? To build something that had never been built for something that had never happened before? With everybody in town laughing at you and calling you an old coot? Your own family ashamed of you? You know? There were no cousins on board that boat. There were no nieces and nephews, brothers or sisters on that boat. Just, just Noah and his sons and their wives. And the future destiny of all of us earthlings was on that boat. One time, several years ago, I was we were in a worship service and we had that's back when we had the overhead projector and we were using transparencies to do what we're doing here and you know I we, we'd lay the song down on the overhead projector and everybody would sing it and uh, I had a piano we had a grand baby grand piano and we had a guy playing the piano whose name was Michael Michael Thomason no relation to me Michael Thomason a genius. He was a genius. Another story. Then we had it. We had a Christian school, and the principal of our Christian school was a Baptist guy that I had hired to come and run this Christian school, and his name was also Mike. And Mike, the school principal, had a blind eye. One day he'd been he's working on his house and. And he's hammering a board in his closet, and the board fell, and a big old nail, big old rusty nail, went right through the pupil of his eye and stuck. Sunday afternoon, and they they put him, his family put him in the car, took him off to Parkland Hospital, Dallas, Texas. Y'all remember Parkland Hospital? That's for James Kennedy, John Kennedy was declared dead. Took him to the hospital. The only doctor in town that could perform that surgery was at the Dallas Cowboy game over in Texas Stadium. They sent a helicopter and picked up the doctor from the, I mean, the helicopter landed right on the 50-yard line. The doctor ran out and got on it, and they took a, and then they took him over to Parkland Hospital, which was not far. And he ran in there, and he removed the nail. And he was still holding on to the board. And they removed the nail, but it was too late. His eye was blinded. But they were able to save the other eye from going blind. Somehow or another, they're connected. Fifteen years had gone by, and he managed. He finally got used to living life with one eye blind. And so he's, he, he always liked to wear these Hawaiian shirts. A little short guy. With a Santa Claus beard, the kind of round guy, happy, jolly guy. He dressed up like Santa Claus at Christmas. And just a real jolly guy, but he's blind in one eye. Well, we're singing. Norma is leading worship. Michael is playing the piano. And Mike is being the usher that day. He's sitting in the back with the offering buckets. 
and I'm doing the transparency. That's my. I had a, I had a tambourine, and I'm going, and I'm doing the doing the transparencies. And it was a church about about the size of this church. We had just started that church, and uh, I'm minding my own business, and the Lord speaks to me, and He said, "It's time for Mike to be healed in that blind eye." So I stopped. I stopped my wife, and I said, "I said, brother Mike, come up here." He grabbed the offering bucket, and I said, "No, no, no, we're not taking the offering yet. I just want you to come up here." So he comes up there in his Hawaiian shirt, you know, and I said, "God's going to heal your eye today." Yeah. What? Everybody's going. What? I said, "Yeah, God's going to heal your eye today," and I said, "In the name." I didn't pray. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command that eye to see. And I held up the next transparency, not the one we were already singing, but the next one. And I said, I want you to read. Cover, cover your good eye. And with that other eye, I want you to read the words off of this transparency. So you know, transparency is see-through. All you can see is the words because there's no paper. Which makes it even harder to see. And he started reading, Majesty. Worship His Majesty. You remember that song? Majesty. Worship His Majesty. And he read every line. And everybody in the place is going berserk. Because they all knew he couldn't do that. And he's got tears running down his face. And he's, he's thinking, And you know what he says? I can't believe it. I said, believe it, Brother Mike, believe it. And so man, we rejoice. We, 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 just, we have a conniption. And then he goes back to his seat. And the Lord says, it's Michael's turn. Michael's at the piano. I said, Michael, what's wrong with you? Well, I knew they walked with a limp, but I didn't know why. And it was because he had one leg that was about, about four and a half inches shorter than the other. So, you know, he's, he walks like this, you know. And and uh, I said, just turn around on that bench and stick both feet out. And he stuck both feet out. And I said, I command that leg to grow even with the other. And everybody saw it grow out. His old, his white socks stuck out. And he looks down. And he looks up at me and he says, well, I'll be. You know, now, why am I telling you this? I'm, I'm telling you that. All we have, we don't have to do the work. All we have to do is obey. Amen. Nothing that I did personally could make or break those miracles. It was just in the obedience of God's word. I heard God speak and I obeyed God and God healed him. But that isn't the end of the story. Michael went home and that afternoon, his wife, her name was Marjorie, Marjorie spent all afternoon altering all of his pants because all of his pants, one leg was four and a half inches shorter than the other, and she had to let, it, let all of his pants out. He came to church that night. His pants legs were the same length, and he's walking normal, and he played the piano better than he'd ever played it before in his life. But now here's the thing. After it was all over, they had to take their stand. Michael with the blind eye, he hung on to his healing for three years. 
But after I was gone and no longer there to encourage him in the Word, no longer preaching the Word of faith to him, and he started going back to a Baptist church, they said, you can't be healed. God doesn't do that anymore. And he lost the vision in that eye. Michael Thomason, on the other hand, he, he stayed true and faithful to the day he died, and he never walked with a limp again. Both of them were healed in the same service. What am I saying? I'm saying, you know, your faith is powerful, but you've got you to put actions with it. And you can't let people talk you out of it. Faith does come by hearing. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing or understanding by the Word of God. Amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You ever wonder why I said hearing and hearing? Because you're supposed to hear it over and over and over again. But you're, you're, supposed, to, you're supposed to hear it and understand it. You need to understand what you're listening to. Faith comes by hearing and understanding the Word of God to the point of inspiring corresponding actions and words. Don't say, I can't believe it. Say, I believe it. And I do, I do want to add one, one more thing to this before we close. Don't forget God's law of seed time and harvest. God's law of sowing and reaping. For what we were talking about last week, your seed has to be farmed. In order for your seed to be fruitful, you have to watch over it. You have to guard it. You have to weed it. You have to protect it from the vultures. You've got to keep people from walking across your corner of your property and trampling your, your harvest. You've got to keep the cows out, put up barbed wire, keep all the animals from roaming into your field. Amen. You've got to watch over your seed. You've got to protect it. And you've got to, you've got to make sure that it's not poisoned with your own negative words. People who do not understand the process are guilty of going back and sowing seeds in, and weeds in their own garden by what they say. Don't undo your miracle by what you say. Use your words to reinforce your miracle. What am I, what am I saying? Give glory and honor to God with your mouth. Always give glory and honor to God. When you receive from God, Thank Him for it. Glorify Him. Praise Him. And don't let people rob you of it with their criticisms. I noticed this about Kenneth Copeland. Kenneth Copeland doesn't have a jet. He has a whole fleet of them. He's given, he's given airplanes to other ministries. He, sow, he sows continually. And he's criticized probably more than any other preacher in this country. That's Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen gets criticized a lot. And if I if I was Joel Osteen and I was pastoring that church, I'd pastor it a, a lot differently than he does. If I was preaching on TV like that all the time, I, I, I might do it a little bit differently. But until I'm doing as much as he's doing, I have no right to say anything about what he's doing. And you don't know his heart. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I think his wife ought to sit down and quit being a teacher because she doesn't know the word. You know. But you know what? She's not my wife. 
It's not my church. It's not my business. I have my preferences. Amen. I like Joel. I think he's a sweet guy. I think he's precious. Amen. Amen. He's a, he's new. That's the only church he's ever pastored. Amen. And and maybe he'll be a success someday. You know, he's got the biggest church in America. He writes a book, advertises it on his TV show, and he's instantly a bestseller. His millions, by the way, his millions didn't come out of that church, came out of his books. People criticize him for his lifestyle. Well, you know, if, if I had a bestseller and I sold 5 billion copies of it and I was a billionaire off of that, I'd guarantee you I'd buy what I want to buy, live how I want to live, and drive what I want to drive. It's none of your business because it's my money. But only on, well, you hear all this stuff that people put out on the internet. Yeah, yeah, uh, you believe everything on the internet, right? But who do you see criticizing these people the most? People who couldn't, who couldn't move an anthill with their faith. You know how to move an anthill with your faith? Go get a shovel. Amen. Go get a shovel. There's just some things that God wants you to do. Amen. Praise God. So if your faith isn't working right, look for the missing link. Don't blame the preacher that preached faith to you. You ought to thank God somebody's trying to help you. Amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God. A lot of people have done some foolish things. And a lot of preachers have taken what these other preachers I mentioned taught and they've gone out and they've They've been like parrots and they've parroted what they heard Kenneth Hagin say and, and they leave out a few things and they forget a few things and then they make a big mess of themselves and everybody wants to blame Kenneth Hagin because one of his little, one of his protégés went out and messed up. Yeah. Well, that can happen to anybody. Amen? So, you know, you, you, you don't, don't be one of these people always going around looking for somebody to blame for your failure. If your faith isn't working, find out why. Don't just throw it away. Amen? Praise God. When, when my wife passed away 20 years ago of cancer, I, I'm, I'll tell you, it shook me. I felt like a failure. Every dream I had about her for a long time, she was always mad at me. In the dream, she was angry with me, and and I knew it was because I let her die. Well, that wasn't her; that was me. Me feeling like a failure. Me feeling like my faith somehow or another I had failed her. And I, I'll tell you, I went through. It. I went through it. But you never knew from what I was preaching that I was going through that and doubting my faith. Because I just kept preaching. I kept preaching it because it was the Word of God. Not because I had had a failure. And today, I'm not sure I had a failure. I'm not sure there was a failure. 
because it's appointed unto man once to die. And I, I just believe that God loves her and God loved me and God knew all the ins and outs and all and and and, uh, and I'm not I'm not mad at God anymore. I'm not mad at me anymore. And I'm not mad at you that you prayed for her and she didn't get healed. I'm not mad at Jim Maloney and all these other guys who came along and anointed her with oil and prayed over her and prophesied that she'll live and not die. I'm not mad. I'm I'm not mad at anybody anymore. I'm I'm content. I'm content to just wait and see when I get to heaven, find out, find out what the missing link was, if there was one. But you don't just you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You 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 keep like I said, I kept praying for people who had the same thing she had and God would heal them. And God's healed a lot of people since then. And I had I had a missionary call me last night and said, I'm sick, I'm in a lot of pain. And all I could think of is I need to get Ronnie Thomason to pray for me. And that was Ann Wood in the Philippines. I'm glad there's somebody who's got confidence in my ability to get a hold of God and pray for them. I'm glad there's somebody that thinks Pastor Ronnie Thomason hasn't gone shipwrecked in the faith. <coughs> Amen. Man, if you're going to be known for something around the world, be known for somebody that can get a hold of God. Don't quit. Perfect it. Amen. Well, that's my last word on that. Praise the Lord. Amen. God bless you.